Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 34 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around as we would greatly appreciate it. And if you have time, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And joining me today for the show is my good friend, Jeremy Lambert. Jeremy, how are you? I am doing well, Larry. How are you? I am good. How was your vacation? Uh, beautiful. We went to the beach, which was excellent, and uh, hung out with some friends from college and had a low-key and mellow night where we ate things that maybe we should not have eaten, but it all led to a good time. Ah, oh, there's nothing wrong with that, dude. <laughs> I, I indulged after therapy this week and crushed some crab cake. So I there you go. But, there uh, you go. Yeah, no, that's, I'm glad you had a good time on vacation. Uh, feel, it, it's funny because we uh, we recorded after Fighter Fest and stuff, and then uh, we recorded again to preview the shows we're going to talk about tonight. So it feels like forever since we talked. I know it's been almost a week because usually we would record like a Wednesday or a Thursday, but couldn't as uh, the wife would have yelled at me if I tried to do a podcast while on vacation. But hey, we didn't miss anything, actually. So it's not like anybody missed content from us. Even when one of us is on vacation, we give the people what they want. And that is the content. That's right. So um, I, I had a really good week, um, had uh, had therapy this week a couple times and uh, things are going really well. They actually had me uh, still doing all the rollator walking, but I uh, they had me practicing in the parallel bars only using one hand so I could uh, kind of simulate walking with a cane, mm-hmm. and uh, that went really good, and um, still ahead of schedule for where I'm supposed to be, and um, like I saw, there was uh, they had a couple people in there, my therapist was telling me, she's like, um, one guy that was in there, uh, he's he's had pretty much the same amount of appointments I had, and he's not broken out of the parallel bars yet. And that's, you well, know, that, it's, everybody goes at a different pace, obviously. So, but that makes me feel really good that I'm, you know, I'm doing really good. And, um, yeah, every appointment I'm getting better and I'm uh, feeling stronger. So, um, it's going along they are, well. They are burying this poor soul without him knowing it to I, you. I know. Kind of felt bad. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I'm glad the, the late night training sessions with uh, one Daryl Takahashi have been paying off in spades in a therapy for you. I see you post the uh, pictures of the, the hot nurse, so those are always enjoyable. I appreciate your updates, and I'm glad you're doing well. Really, I just want pictures of the hot nurse, <laughs> so you, you satisfy two needs there for me when you post those updates. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm glad things things are going well. And again, your, your goal is uh, so we can go to WrestleCon or WrestleCade, whatever the hell is going on in uh, Charlotte in uh, the end of November. I know, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there, man. It's, it's going really good. Like I said, it's um, it, it's funny because I'm sitting there and I'm just uh, I think one of the cool things I posted about this on Twitter and stuff is what's really cool is like Alex, my youngest daughter. For those of you that, know, that don't know, she's seven. She uh, she ends up coming to most of my appointments, and it's it's actually really cool because she's like she's really motivating number one but i think it's also teaching her a really good lesson that like yeah i mean life is kind of shitty and everything but like just because this happened to me doesn't mean it's like this horrible thing and i'm not gonna walk again and stuff and just uh the coolest thing is like like she's been helping me out in therapy because i'll um 
I do these exercises where I have to practice balance, standing and stuff, and uh, throw like one of those uh, really light inflatable balls like you buy for a kid to play in the pool with, you know, like a foot wide. You throw it back and forth with somebody. And so she'll do that with me at therapy, which is really cool. I can imagine Alex being being very supportive. Um, Every time I've been over there, she is a blast and always wants to help out with with anything she can so yeah i can imagine her being supportive at therapy and at home and just encouraging so that that's good to hear yeah and um i'm telling you dude i'm not gonna lie though like the first day she was there totally made me cry because <laughs> uh it was like the first day i really got to get up and start walking in the leg and stuff and i was walking into parallel bars and she's sitting over there with christy and she's just kind of watching really big eyed like I don't know if she was expecting me to fall down or whatever, but, uh, you know, she was just really watching intently and I started walking in the bars and, you know, she's seven, so you can't expect her to have good volume control, but she just yelled out, daddy's walking again. And it just like, you know, kind of like crushed me in a way, but it also like, you just kept making me realize why I'm doing it. And like, I go there some days, dude, like, yeah, we talked about, I don't sleep really good sometimes and. God damn, I am tired when I get there, but, you know, watching her, just kind of watching me, and she likes to follow me around when I'm doing laps around the gym and stuff, and she's just telling me, like, you're doing really good, Daddy, and it's like, you know, it's like, it just really means a lot, and just reminds me, I I can't really worry about being tired and sore and all that bullshit, because I, I keep hearing from the therapist, like, there, there's people that get a prosthetic leg, and the guy from the prosthesis place told me about, they had a guy, uh, I get a guy with like money and when he lost a leg and so he paid for his own prosthetic leg cause he wanted like the top of the line shit. Uh, didn't want to rely on the insurance and stuff. And every time they go for a home visit to check in on him to see if he needs any adjustments and stuff, it's like, he's never wearing the leg. He's just in the wheelchair and it sits in the closet. It was like a $60,000 prosthetic leg he paid for. And just like I can't imagine like having that and never trying to use it because it's like this wheelchair is paying the ass and I just want to get back to doing normal shit man so I just keep uh doing all my exercises going to therapy everything's getting better and like I guess the bottom line is like I know I got dealt a shitty hand it it sucks I lost a leg I can't change it it's not fucking growing back and I just have to make it work and um you know, Hannah graduates next year, man. So, uh, you know, I gotta, gotta be on my feet and walking in for that. You, it sounds like you're, you're getting there. I know it's a a tough process. Um, I'm glad you're, you're talking about it with me though. This is very, I'm maybe therapeutic and cathartic. Um, I know it's a tough process, but I see the updates. We talk about it when, when we're on the air and it sounds like you're, you're doing well based on, I mean, even what the therapists are telling you, like you're doing well. And I know it's a, a very shitty situation, but I feel like you, you've handled it in stride and you realize the, the steps, no pun intended, that you need to take to to take those steps. And um, I'm proud of you. Like, like, like I really am. And I don't know if I, I say that enough, but I truly am proud of you. I, I'm. It's, it's great to see your progress. And it's great that like, like I'm proud to know you. I, I don't know. I, I'm very emotional today. Uh, if anyone saw my post on Twitter, I'm I'm, I'm having a, a tough time with, with a lot of things. And, and people like Larry are uh, 
an inspiration to me to to see what they what they go through and and how they battle and like like I truly mean that like you are an inspiration to to see everything you've gone through and to to see where you're at now and to see that uh, you you keep making progress going forward and and like it's I'm glad to to call you a friend. Thanks, man. That means a lot. And I just um like I said I, I know I post this on like Twitter and stuff a lot, but uh I do want to thank everybody because there's a lot of really cool people on Twitter that always like show really great support for me and some of them i've known for a while and there's a lot of people i don't know that well and just just the fact that uh i guess whatever i do on a day-to-day basis with my my writing and whatever means enough to somebody to actually give a shit about my personal life means a lot and um and it's just it, it really helps it really does yeah, that's the cool thing about Twitter actually is I like I don't always like their like algorithms and shit, but like I remember posting earlier this year like hey, I'm I'm one year sober today. And like people who I don't follow like tweet messages and they're like hey, this popped up on my timeline cuz someone else like liked it or replied to it. And it's like congratulations, like good job. I'm so and so you're sober. Like that's awesome. It's, like, it connects people to like there's good on Twitter. It can be a shitty place. It, it most certainly can, but there is there's plenty of good on Twitter where people you don't know just kind of reach out and whether it's a like or a reply or whatever, they they just say like hey, good job or it, it makes you it makes you feel good. So yes, Twitter can be an encouraging place if you just have the right filters and mutes on. <laughs> That's true, but before we get into the stuff, real quick, funny therapy stories. Like, uh, they always have me. Uh, I ride on a. I always ride a bike when I'm there. So I sit down, exercise bike with the, uh, with the armed gimmicks and stuff. You know, so I sit there and I'm riding, and and so since I have the prosthetic leg, they have to make sure they strap in that foot so it doesn't slide off. Because I can put pressure on it and everything, but obviously I can't feel it. You know, the foot pushing on the thing. So. The therapist is, like, cranking on the thing. She's strapping me, and she goes, Oh, God, is that too tight? Does it hurt? And then she stopped and looked at me. She goes, I just asked you if your prosthetic foot hurt. <laughs> and I, I laughed. There's a little funny moments always like that, uh, help in therapy. So, But, yeah, no, it's it's been going really good. I'm I'm really excited. Um, I got therapy again a couple times this week, and I pretty much go two times a week, sometimes three. And so I, I go back tomorrow and hit the walk-in and – just uh trying to trying to keep making progress and that's uh it's a good thing so i guess that's a little personal update there and uh so we are going to get into the show now thank you guys for listening to that and again thank you for any support you showed me i greatly appreciate it we're going to talk about first of all the g1 climax new japan pro wrestling night one in dallas show uh, Jeremy got home late, so he missed the opening tag matches, so I'll discuss those. And then he will chime in on the G1 matches and uh, give his thoughts. So we started off the show, Jeremy. It was uh, the Gorillas of Destiny versus Rapongi 3K. Gorillas of Destiny won 6 minutes, 55 seconds. Good match. Way better than a normal Gorillas of Destiny match. Uh, they seemed to be having fun. They were motivated, had fun kind of tossing the little guys around, but there wasn't any bullshit. There was no Jado at ringside. So it was just really fun and uh, was a good opener that served its purpose. Crowd seemed to like it. Nice start to the show. Didn't overstay its welcome. So appreciated that. Combine the division, you coward, Gato. That too. I mean, I am all for that. We need to do something about the damn tag divisions. 
Uh, moving on with Shota Umina and uh, Big Tom Ishii versus Ren Narita and the wholesome wrestle lad Jeffrey Cobb. Ren Narita, your boy, and uh, Jeffrey Cobb won the match. Seven and a half minutes. Very good stuff. Tremendously fun. It gave us a really good heated preview for Cobb versus Ishii, which the crowd loved. They were eating it up. There's a great picture online with uh, um, Ishii and Cobb facing off. And in the background, you see like the entrance ramp. And there's this black dude popping out with, like, the biggest smile on his face, like, shit's about to get real, man. (laughs) He looks so happy that these big lads are about to kill each other. It's, like, the greatest photo. But uh, really good. uh, Umino and uh, Narita got some good time to shine. One of the coolest spots was uh, Umino hit uh, just a basic suplex on Jeff Cobb. But they did this great fight spot over it. And when he hit it, the crowd popped for it so big. Because they made it look like a big deal when he actually hit it. But uh, just very good. Best match on the undercard. Uh, Ishii and Jeff Cobb are going to fucking kill each other next week. And it's going to be great. I I assume the great Rin Narita penned Ishii in this match. Uh, You would be horribly wrong. Um, But Jeffrey Cobb hit the tour of the islands to finish Umino. But no. uh, Wrong call. Narita and Umino looked really good. It was nice to see them shine here and uh, get a little get a little bit of run. Uh, next up, Hiroki Goto, who is in really good shape right now, and uh, Yoshihashi defeated Jay White and Chase Owens, 840 via pin. Another good match. It was hyping Goto and White for next week. Gave Goto some momentum heading into the G1. Chase Owens was really good in this match, and Yoshihashi was Yoshihashi. Yeah, I would imagine Yoshihashi wasn't very good. Uh, I heard Goto uh, got a got a pretty big pop, which is good to hear, as he has another strong in ring G one where people think he's going to do something and then ends up somewhere in the middle. Yeah, he's in great shape though. He's looking really good, so uh, kind of hyped for his G one. Next up, Jushin Liger, Juice Robinson, and Toriyano defeated Shingo, Bushi, and Tetsuya Naito, 8-18 via pin. Another good match previewing Naito and Yano, as well as Juice and Shingo for next week. The uh, Naito and Yano stuff, the fans just fucking adored. They loved Liger, but the Juice and Shingo shit was really good. Uh, They had some great reversal spots, including uh, Shingo uh, countering the Pulp Friction and the Noshigami and stuff like that. Just uh, They looked really good. I think they're going to have a potentially really great match. So I'm looking forward to that. But uh, good stuff. And uh, Liger got his music played at the end as he's, you know, wrapping up his career, which, again, is sad to see. And on that note, I got to say, I hated that I didn't get to go to the PWX show to meet Liger today. That fucking killed me. But I got to say, man, they dropped the ball. They had Liger on this show and Brian Pillman Jr. on this show. And they put him in different matches. Like, everybody keeps saying they need to run Liger and Brian Pillman Jr. before he retires to play off of the Liger-Brian Pillman feud in WCW. And that was a big opportunity that they could have advertised and done. And I don't know. I kind of think they dropped the ball on that one. I wonder I wonder if there are outside circumstances that would not allow them to do that. Because, because I agree with you. Like, that's a match that should be done before Liger retires and maybe Liger knows it and maybe Brian Pillman Jr. knows it 
and maybe they want that on a bigger stage than a PWX show that no one is going to see because well, it's... Hey, if that's the case and we get it on a bigger show, like, it'd be great if they threw it on... Like, uh, next up, they announced that New Japan is running the East Coast, Boston, New York, and Philly on September 27th, 28th, 29th, I believe. And um, you know what? Maybe they're going to run it on a show like that, which would be great. And if that's yeah, the they're, case, they're... I'll forgive them. They're they're going to what the like the Hammerstein one night and Hammerstein, an ECW Arena technically in the ECW Arena yeah yeah so like you do that at Hammerstein or ECW Arena like that that's a good venue for that match and it might take place in, in somewhere else like I don't know MLW's relationship with New Japan it seems like it's it's probably fine maybe they maybe MLW is able to to coax New Japan into letting them do this match I feel like it's a match that really has to happen it needs to happen and but it needs to happen on on that bigger stage where people can actually watch it and if that's the case like great but if this match doesn't happen and pwx just completely botched this then yeah that's a, that's a bad look for them yeah because i i want to see because brian pillman jr's come along really good and i think it'd be a great throwback and you know it's just uh something nice on the lager retirement tour i know people have tried to put it together but um like, in theory, I think it could happen in MLW because Liger has the ability. He can pretty much work wherever the hell he wants with his contract. But I don't know if New Japan would be super keen on it due to the relationship with ROH and everything. Um, but, yeah, I just I hope it happens. I, I just think it would be cool. I'm not saying it's going to be this, like, epic match, but I just think it would be cool to see and something nice for the Liger retirement tour. Agreed. So... And now we move on to the, the G1 Climax matches, Jeremy. We started off, Lance Archer defeated Big Match Willie Ospreay, 18-17 via pin. Your thoughts? It was everything we were expecting, and then some. Um, Lance Archer worked his ass off. Will Ospreay is probably the rest of the year at this point. Uh, they, they had some good callbacks to, to their New Japan Cup match. Um, Osprey does so good at, at selling and putting Lance over, Lance Archer over as, as a real like killer, and, and he looked like a killer in this match. Um, uh, Archer was was obviously motivated. He busted out the claw, which we talked about in the preview, where where we thought he, he might do that, being in Dallas. Um, and yeah, Lance Archer looked like a real killer in this match. Will Osprey doesn't lose anything by losing in this match. Like it's. It's night one of the G1. You're going to have these losses that are, by the end of it, you're like, oh, yeah, he needed a loss there because Osprey is going to win a lot during this G1. And this sets up a, a trilogy match between them down the line. And I think that is going to be a hell of a match as well. So love this match. Uh, have no complaints about it at all. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I thought it was an excellent way to kick off the G1. I loved uh, Osprey going like shock and awe early on against the Giant until he got just destroyed through a fucking table. It was great. Uh, I thought they did a good job of not only re recapturing that magic from their New Japan Cup match, but they improved on it. I thought this was even better. Easily the best match of Lance Archer's career, and I don't mean that as a slight, but I can count like his great matches on one hand. He had one with Abyss and TNA. He had one with AJ Styles in 2014, and he had the Will Ospreay match earlier this year. And this was better than all three of those. So I loved it. I thought they played the big man, little man formula well. As you said, Osprey loses nothing here because he was absolutely fantastic. 
Archer looked like just a beast. And if he can recreate half of this with some of the other guys in this block, uh, he may have a really strong run, stronger than most people expect. And Osprey looks poised for a great G1 run to back up what was just an insanely great Best of Super Juniors run. Yeah, Osprey, I mean, he's going to be, I, I told you, I've said this many times, he's going to have a great G1, and it's going to solidify his position as, as the, the best in 2019 because between his best of Super Juniors run and his G1 run, his match list is going to be, like, no one's just going to be able to top it. Um, guy, guys will come close. Okada will have great matches. Omega, like, Moxley's on a nice little run right now. Um, Tanahashi's always there, Naito. But none of these guys and then you go even to to um nxt and and like pete dunn and and adam cole johnny gargano like all these guys are are having great matches but as far as just high quality and consistent high quality and even like volume because there's a lot of g1 and best of super juniors matches whereas a guy like johnny gargano is only really wrestling on takeovers and there's only five or six of those a year so okay he's having five or six great matches like osprey's doing that in a month um, so uh, Osprey to me, like he's going to solidify his, his spot as the top wrestler in 2019 with this tournament. And, and this was just step one. Not only that, he's going to solidify his space as the, uh, the top foreign star in new Japan as well. I mean, everybody was extremely worried about losing, you know, the quote unquote best bout machine, Kenny Omega. And, uh, I mean, you know, Will Osprey is like, fuck it. Put me in coach, you know? <laughs> So I mean, yeah, it's uh, yeah, he's he's having just a great year so far, and the the G one could be, it could be just a super special year for him because, you know, the, he had a small run in the New Japan Cup, he won Best of Super Juniors. If he has a really strong showing with a, just a run of great matches here in the G one, it's, I mean, yeah, wrap wrap it up, man. I mean, it's uh, and I'm sorry, I know there's some people out there that like the to mock people like us talking about Osprey being the best wrestler in the world right now. But I mean, he just is. And it's not only in new Japan. Like I caught his fucking, uh, he had a match with a kid in Spain that was just insane. And I know I keep hearing from people. He had some really good tag stuff in progress, which I haven't seen, uh, at the, uh, Australian show. He had an excellent match with Robbie Eagles. And, um, yeah, it's just, um, he's, he's just putting it out there, dude. And he, uh, pretty much never fails to deliver. No, Osprey is he's amazing and not to not to bag on Lance Archer cuz but you said it earlier. He you look at his track record, he doesn't typically have good matches and Osprey has now gotten like two excellent matches out of him. And maybe Archer goes on to have a really good G1 run and he's just peaking uh, very late in his career. But there's no doubt that Will Ospreay it plays a, a big role into that because Will Ospreay is just having great matches with, with everyone. Yeah, so it was really good to see. And, it was, you know, it's a, it's a great moment for Lance Archer too because he put a lot of work into helping promote the show. He was in his hometown and big win. And that dude was just fired to fuck up the entire match. And just he looked like a star in that match too. Which that I, I can't remember the last time I thought Lance Archer looked like a legit star, but he did, and kudos to him because a lot of people were like, "Oh, well, Osprey just ran around him and carried the match." No, 
Lance Archer had a great fucking match. He was great. So, you know, watch the match a little more closely. I mean, I love Will Ospreay, but that was not all Will Ospreay. That wasn't like Will Ospreay trying to carry Tai Chi in that one shitty match they had. So, this, <laughs> yeah, this was just excellent stuff. Um, yeah, Archer Archer certainly held his own. I wouldn't say that this was just the Will Ospreay show. It was, he was the, the standout in the match, but it wasn't like... You know, it was Ar- it was Osprey against a broomstick. Like Archer was really good in this match. Yeah, just uh, great stuff. Um, speaking of not great stuff, now uh, Bad Luck Valley defeated Evil eleven uh, thirty via pin. It was okay at best. Very lethargic. Had too much bullshit involved down the stretch. Overall, for me, easily the worst thing on the entire show. This is always going to be the worst thing on the entire show when you looked at this card because. No offense to Evil, like I, I've said it, I'm not like the biggest fan of him. I don't think he's he's that great. Um, and Bad Luck Valley is is like he is who he is. If he's not wrestling Tanahashi or Okada or Will Ospreay, like he's not going to have a good match. And that was the case here. Uh, there was no like 30 run-ins by Tamatanga and, and Tangaloa and, and Gato and everybody, so I guess that's the good thing. But it, it wasn't good. And Fale wins because he has strong G1 runs. Like like it or not, the they they put him over strong and make him feel somewhat special in the G1. So I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but whatever. You can sacrifice evil here. No no one cares about evil. And again, like I said, it's also it's first day of the G one. They want to make Fowley look strong. Want to make Lance Archer look strong. There's a it's all people. Some someone commented in my review, like you know, Bad Luck Fowley is actually a really great worker. But some people that like just moves don't appreciate that. No, he's not. He's really not good. You have been fucking blinded by the fact that Tanahashi, Okada, Nakamura, Ibushi, and Osprey have made him look really good at times because they played to his strengths. It's a fucking magic show, okay? It's like that stretch when WWE re-signed Tatanka and Marty Jannetty because they had really good TV matches with <gasps> Kurt Angle. Jesus Christ, I have one leg. Kurt Angle could, is broken down. He could probably have a decent match with me still. It's like Jesus. Like, no, not 2019 Kurt Angle. <laughs> nah, dude, I, I think Kurt has enough in the tank for me. Oh, uh, Kurt Angle could barely have a good match with Chad Gable um, earlier this year. I excuse I don't me. Know. I, hey, I am a junior heavyweight now, and I have uh, expanded my move set, so I have a little faith in me. Fair, fair enough. I think you would have to carry it. I definitely think uh, 2003 Kurt Angle, or whenever he had those matches with Tatanka and Janetti, that Kurt Angle could could certainly have an outstanding match uh, with you or anyone in the world. But 2019 Kurt Angle, different story. Yeah, but I mean, don't don't be fooled by the fucking uh, dog and pony show, man. It's a, he's not good, and but unfortunately, the fact that those guys got good efforts out of him. Uh, has solidified him a job pretty much forever. You know, plus he's a big guy that they think they can believably make a monster from time to time. And he's just bad luck valet, man. So what I think that and they like he, he does a lot of work like just outside of, of wrestling with the with the dojo and whatnot. So I think they 
they keep him around for that. And I mean, he like he is a good heater, like because of his size and his role in Bullet Club. Like it, it makes sense. Uh, but yeah, as far as calling him like a good worker, no, he he plays his role well. I, I will give him that much. He, he's not a guy that I would like want to go out of my way to see or would consider him like. Yeah, this guy. I can't wait to can't wait to watch this bad luck family match. Uh, no one's really ever said that, I've except I guess this that. guy in the comments. <laughs> I've never said that. So moving on, Sonata defeated Zack Sabre Jr. 21-25 via pin in a callback to the last time Sonata beat him with a European clutch at the end. Um, Your thoughts? Love this match. Love Zack Sabre Jr. Will always love Zack Sabre Jr. This match did not officially account because... Taka was not there to do a proper introduction. I feel like that that threw off Zack Sabre Jr. and he was not on the top of his game because of it. And and this match should not count in the G1 record books. I think that's a fair point. I fucking miss hype man Taka so bad. I really do. And uh, yeah, I, he's. I, I, I hope mean, he's I don't want to say he's shows in Japan, but yeah, yeah, I really hope he's back for the for the shows. What like. Is his arm in a sling? He's got a limp or something? Suck it up, Taka. We we need we need to know when it is Zack Saber time because I, the match was great. Uh, Sonata and Zack Saber have very good chemistry, and as I always say, it's it's tough to have a a bad match with Zack Saber Jr. because of his technical ability. I, like I might be in the minority on this. This is my favorite match. On the show, I like this more than than Osprey and and Archer and uh, Tanahashi and Okada, just because I like Zack Saber Jr.'s style of wrestling uh, probably more than than a lot of people. It's it's my favorite kind of style of wrestling, and not many people can do it well. But Zack Saber is obviously at the top of the list of people who do it excellent. Yeah, and I don't think you're necessarily in the minority because outside of Fale and Evil. I've seen several people that have been, you know, my my favorite match of the show was Kenta and Ibushi. My favorite match was Sonata and Zack. My favorite match was Okada and Tanahashi. My favorite match was Osprey and Archer. So I've seen a lot of people kind of split on four of the five G1 matches as their favorite of the evening. So I don't think you're necessarily in a minority. But yeah, it's um, I thought it was great. Uh, I thought it was filled with some really beautiful and crafty counter-wrestling. Stylistically, these guys just click really well. I thought they had really great throwbacks to their previous meetings. And Sonata gets off to the big start with uh, the win here. And Zack Sabre Jr. was pissed off post-match and tried to rip the referee's arm off. If Taka had been there, he would have won this match. I mean, very possibly so, but unfortunately for him, he wasn't. I did like afterwards, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. was cutting his uh, interview in the press conference area and said, uh, trying to have a beautiful technical wrestling match in front of an American crowd is like reading Shakespeare to a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, a, it's, it's it was a funny line, but the thing is, it's like he probably hated saying it because like, the crowd really liked the match. <laughs> But, like, yeah, it's just, he's such a great dick, though. So, yeah, good stuff. And uh, an- another great G1 match. Uh, two for three on those. Next up, Kenta defeated Kota Ibushi at 2050 via pin. Your thoughts, Jeremy? We we were going to see if, if Kenta was back here. And I was never worried about Kenta in this match. Like we've kind of talked about, I'm more worried about Kenta three weeks from now after he's gone through the G1 because 
we will have to see how his body holds up. Like he's had time off since his last match on 205 Live. He was always going to be motivated. It, it's tough to have a bad match with, with Kota Ibushi. I thought Kenta looked good. I thought Ibushi looked good. I liked the match. I am not going crazy over the match. It was, it wasn't slow, but it just felt like it never kicked out of that 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 first or second gear. Like they beat the shit out of each other, and like it was very uh, hard hitting, striking. Like I really liked that it opened up like a legitimate like MMA striking battle. I thought that was was very cool when they were trying to check kicks and, and uh, parry parry punches and stuff like that. So like I liked the open. I liked the the style that they wrestled. It just I was waiting for it to kind of just kick up to that next level. And, and it never did, but I like that Kenta just won clean with one GTS, and then that was that. Like, it was good. I'm not saying this was a bad match by any stretch of the imagination. It, I, I've i seen a lot of people divided on it, too, Like where people have said, like, this match is terrible, and other people are calling it a match of the year contender. I fall on the side to where, like, if I'm rating it out of 10, it's probably a 7, 7.5 out of 10 for me. So the, you know... Drop that down to whatever that would be in star ratings. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed the match. I liked the style. I guess I was just waiting for that next level, and it never got there to me. Yeah, I think it's a fair assessment. I've seen a lot of that uh, kind of divided thought because it's uh, a lot of people that thought it was just kind of bland and two guys hitting each other. And then there's the crowd like, oh my God, Kent is back. He was amazing. And uh, not quite. I, I did think it was great. It was really great hard-hitting battle. And I think that really popped because it came after that, like, kind of technical match we had right before it. So two completely different style matches, which made both stand out. And I'm not rushing to say Kenta's back fully, but I thought he had a really great showing. Made me optimistic for the rest of the tournament. But again, like you, I am concerned about two, three weeks from now, is he still going strong is he still healthy is he banged up is he slowing down but i thought that the dominating performance and win over abushi was the right call here because abushi's gonna have a really good run in this he can easily come back and then again here's the thing too is like you have to look forward to it the kent to win if you think about it let's just say for argument's sake if abushi happens to win the g1 he has to defend the briefcase and right away, you have Kenta set up to challenge him for that. So this was done for a reason, probably. Also, this, uh, the uh, Sonata went over Zack Sabre Jr. Because I think uh, we'll get Sonata and Zack Sabre Jr. at the Royal Quest show for the Rev Pro title. So uh, again, the wins and losses aren't done for no reason here. But I, I, thought it was, I thought it was great. I thought Kenta wasn't... Again, he's not like Kenta of old, but I thought he looked really good. I thought he worked really hard. I thought he felt more like himself than he has in a long, long time. And again, cautiously optimistic for the rest of the tournament. And I, I hope he can make it through injury-free. I think a lot of people's perception on this match is going to come from how they felt going into it. And like that happens a lot in, in wrestling and, and really a lot of aspects in, in entertainment, subjective entertainment, to where... If you didn't enjoy Kenta's WWE run and you think he's washed and you, you're just kind of like bitter about the, the whole thing and how it, how it played out, like you maybe you didn't enjoy this match as a result. But if you were 
like waiting for the Kenta Redemption tour and you were just waiting to basically just tell everyone like Kenta is back, then maybe you thought this match w- was better than it was. So you could just be like, I told you Kenta was back. Um, so I think how you felt going into it might play a role into how you feel coming out of it because, you know, a lot of people want to be proven right in the world. So if you thought Kenta was going to be back, you want to say Kenta was back. If you thought Kenta is kind of washed and his WWE run was what it was for a reason, like that's how you're going to think coming out of this match. So I'd be interested to see like what people thought about this match after it, but how they thought about it going into it and see if that lines up at all. And that's some data that uh, Mukigana or, or Brandon Thurston could do, not me. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, again, I thought it was another match that delivered here in the G1. And uh, so uh, three of the four matches had delivered so far. And then we came to our main event. Okada defeated Tanahashi 22 minutes, 10 seconds via pin. Uh, I thought they had a great match. I had my concerns about Tanahashi coming in because he looked rough the last few weeks. But I also knew that working with Okada, that he could still potentially have a great match. And that with a whole week to rest before another match, he was probably going to really, really bust his ass. And the thing is that a banged up Hiroshi Tanahashi is still Hiroshi fucking Tanahashi. And while it wasn't up to the lofty lofty standards of their previous matches, because they've just had some insanely epic matches, thought it was great. And um, it gave America an Okada Tanahashi main event. And uh, Tanahashi actually just, um, you know, he had mothballed the high fly flow for a bit, but he busted that out. And they, um, in a way, it was almost playing the hits to a degree, which isn't a bad thing in this case, because I think that's what the U.S. audience wanted to see. They wanted to see an Okada-Tanahashi match. And that's what they got. And um, like we talked about in the preview, Okada wins because it didn't seem like they wanted to set up another Okada Tanahashi match that soon, which would have happened if he would have won here. So Okada winning made the most sense, and um, you know the the ace pulls one on again, despite the fact that he looks like he's breaking down again. They definitely played the hits in this one, and like you said, like that's not a bad thing. The crowd was going nuts for these two from the moment the bell rang. Um, so they didn't have to go out there and have like this, this spectacular match because the crowd was going to be into everything they were going to do regardless. And they still had a great match. Like it's Okada and Tanahashi. It's, it's tough for these two to have a bad match against each other. I don't care what kind of state Tanahashi is in. He, he's, he can be in a wheelchair 10 years from now. And Okada, Okada's still relatively young. Okada's still going to have a great match with, with Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, Okada winning was the right call in my estimation, because as you said, you don't want to set that up. Um, you don't want to have to go back to that match again, uh, after the G one. And that's something you would definitely have to do with Okada still being the champion. Uh, you you save that match as, as often as you can, because it's still a special match, especially like they brought it here to America and it felt like a big deal. Like you can do this match literally anywhere in the world and it's going to feel like a big deal and you can honestly preserve these guys as a result because if you do it in japan they have to kick it up a notch because the japanese audience that's what they're used to you do it england australia 
uh, uh, USA, Canada, like they could just kind of go through the motions and still have a very good match and the crowd's going to eat all of it up. So you don't need to burn out uh, Okada and Tanahashi in Japan um, by having Okada or having Tanahashi win in this one. So that is all for uh, the first night there in Japan. Right now, Lance Archer, Bad Luck Fale, Sonata, Kenta, and Okada all have two points, while Zack Sabre Jr., Tanahashi, Ibushi, Evil, and Osprey are 0-1 with zero points uh, heading into their second match. Overall, on the show, since I got to see the whole thing, I thought it was a great show. Um, I know they were disappointed by the attendance, which you know we talked about at the promotional problem in part uh yeah i want to discuss this in just a second go ahead yeah they had just under five thousand paid but the good news is the crowd was hot all night they were into the show they were there for a new japan show and they were this was an authentic new japan show there were no you know there were no roh guests or anything this was a new japan show with your undercard tags to build to next week's g1 matches you had legit g1 matches you had a low-level match of the year contender, and in my opinion, an Osprey and Archer. And um, you got Okada Tanahashi for the first time in America. So I thought it was a quality show. Uh, so yeah, we'll talk about the attendance. Just under 5000 paid. Obviously a disappointment because they booked a bigger building this time, and they were hoping that they were going to get a bigger crowd. And part of that we talked about in the preview was part of it is a promotional problem because New Japan waits to announce matches and stuff till they finish with other shows and to announce the G1 field and stuff like that, which in this case was a mistake. Like, I understand if you don't want to announce the full A block because you were saving the Kenta surprise and whatever. But I think that, you know, if you have the chance, you're like, listen, night one is going to be A block of the G1. We're guaranteeing you five matches. And right now, a month out, we're promising you the main event of the show is going to be Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kazuchika Okada, who normally face off in the last night of the G1. I would have done that. But I think the other thing a lot of people aren't considering is AEW has run a couple shows already this year, and a lot of their fans are fly-in fans. And the success of the past New Japan shows has been heavy fly-in crowds. So this year, you already had people flying in to see New Japan for the G1 Supercard, And then you have a lot of those same fans who were flying in to see like Double or Nothing and stuff. So the fly-in fan money is being stretched out further. So it's like a, you know, it's just a cascade effect. Things are going to get a little less. And that's part of the problem. Plus, which another thing we also talked about, you lost Cody Omega and the Young Bucks. And I know people don't like to give them credit, but they were big reasons that the shows drew really well in America. You lose those guys. People now know they're not going to be there and that they can see them somewhere else. Money gets diverted other places. So there are several reasons why the attendance wasn't as good as you know they had hoped. But the good news was that, like I said, the crowd was hot all night. They were there to see a New Japan show. They got it, and they seemed very happy. And I will let you talk now. Not announcing Okada against Tanahashi certainly hurt um the 
I mean, it, it hurt their business on, on this night because you announce that a month out, you're going to get a bigger interest and more people willing to travel. And you announce it a week, two weeks out, then plans get tougher to to make. And like you said, AEW has done two like big travel shows this year. Fans obviously came from around to uh, to go to Vegas. Fans fans are traveling around to to go to Chicago. Um, and like wrestling fans, they like, don't all always have uh the most money especially if you're going to keep traveling around to to see all this events like you even got to take it into account like wrestlemania weekend and shit even like the chris jericho cruise this year so there's more traveling events than ever for for wrestling fans and if you don't give and if you don't give fans like a reason to make that travel they're not going to do it and just saying it's the it's the g1 is a decent reason but if you don't know what matches you're going to get, then and it is night one. Like typically, you do get good matches on night one. But what what headline night one last year? Uh, Jay White and, and Tetsuya Naito, correct? Mm, I don't remember honestly. So uh, I I think it was Jay White because because I was over at your at your house to watch um night one of of G one, and I'm fairly certain Jay White was uh in in night one um. Because because he he picked up the the big victory. So in night one, if you're saying okay, it's a Jay White main event. No offense to Jay White, I, I I'm very high on Jay White. You're not going to get too many people traveling to to see Jay White against whoever in the main event. But uh, Okada and Tanahashi, like that's you know, on American soil. Like that's a reason to travel. And the fact that they didn't announce it um, until a couple weeks out certainly hurt their hurt their business. I think the larger arena, look, they obviously got a good deal on the arena because Mark Cuban and the access ties. Uh, I think if they didn't get this deal on American Airlines Arena, they'd probably run a smaller venue. The optics look a lot better because you run a 6,000-seat venue, you sell 5,000. Like Everything looks good. You don't look like you just completely... Uh, you know, you miss the boat on 10,000 fans like they technically did because I think the American Airlines can hold 16,000. So the the optics looked bad because they did run the bigger arena. They apparently didn't move fans around to kind of cover up all the empty seats. Um, and, and that's certainly a mistake as well. You know, people, people are like, well, this is the same thing a Raw and a SmackDown would draw for this arena. Like, okay, cool. This is night one of the G1. Like, this is this is a big event. It, it should be drawing better than a random Raw or a SmackDown. Like, this is... It, it's, it's bigger than a WWE, like, B-show pay-per-view. It's probably not as quite as big as, um, like, a SummerSlam or a Big Four pay-per-view or anything like that. It, it's somewhere in between. But it, it's still a big deal, especially with the talent they put on there. And it was, like, a, a legitimate New Japan card. It wasn't, like, a New Japan comes to America card. It was, like, New Japan in America, um, if that makes sense. So it didn't look good from if you're just looking watching it on the television crowd was hot i will i will give them that the crowd was into everything it it wasn't the crowd's fault like the the 5000 6000 that were there they made noise for everything just the optics of it here's this big arena it's only one third full this is supposed to be a big show it doesn't look good and i almost i almost feel bad for new japan in that 
they did some things wrong, and that's not announcing Tanahashi and Okada until it was probably too late. But I feel bad because they like they got a good deal on this arena. They felt like they had to use it where if they didn't get this deal, I think they're smarter. They run a smaller venue, and they guarantee the sellout. Yeah, last year, by the way, night one was Jay White defeating Okada on night one in the main event. There you go. I knew it was Jay White against somebody because I remember both of us being not shocked because I think you would actually call Jay White winning uh, simply because they like to do these upsets on night one. But I, I, I knew it was Jay White and whether it's Naito, uh, Okada, Tanahashi, like if if you are putting Jay White on a main event in Dallas, I mean, he main evented MSG, but those are different circumstances. If you're putting Jay White in a main event on Dallas, like that's not like a huge reason to travel if you're saying okay jay white against tetsuya naito is the main event come out to see this show like you if you're a fan who has spent money already this year on other promotions you're not like yeah i'm gonna travel to dallas to to see this even though it's new japan it's g1 jay white versus whoever in the main event isn't like gotta go see it okada tanahashi different story naito tanahashi naito any any mixture of those three maybe even throw abushi in there like any mixture of those four okay reason to travel jay white no offense not really reason to travel well yeah i mean yeah no offense like jay white's getting really good and everything but yeah he's not a he's not a guy you dump like thousands of dollars on plane tickets and show tickets to go see and that's that's just what it is so but yeah, that's a night one of the G1, and we have a week off until we pick up with uh, more G1 action, and the B block will begin. Uh, so real quick, you're listening to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Jeremy, uh, tonight was also... In Dallas, the uh, Impact Slammiversary pay-per-view. Uh, Impact, uh, you know, people still... I, I, what, what annoys me is people are like, oh, they ran such a small venue. Well, you know what? Again, like we just talked about the attendance stuff with New Japan. Impact is at least making smarter moves now. Because older TNA and then when it became Impact, they would still try to run some of these bigger arenas. And it looked like shit. They didn't sell a lot. The sound didn't travel well. And then you're spending a lot of money on these buildings. So yeah, they're running like a thousand seat venue or whatever. And hey, you know what? They reportedly sold it out. It looked good on TV and the crowd was into the show. So I don't see it as a problem. I don't know about what you think, but I don't see that as a problem. No, I... It's better to run a smaller venue, sell it out, have have the crowd be into everything than, like we just said with New Japan, run a bigger arena, get one-third of the building full. Okay, the crowd might make noise, but the optics just look bad. Yes, they're running a, a small arena. It does, Maybe that doesn't look good to some people and like, oh, like this arena is so tiny. Let's be honest about Impact's position in professional wrestling right now. They are not the number two company in America. They are on a, a fucking network that shows commercials for for the thirty minutes for the final thirty minutes of the show. They they can't be found um, on on your television, God. 
They have very little like buzz on social media when they do their tapings. Like they're they're not where they were however many years ago when they were on Spike TV and stuff. That that's not who they are anymore. They are legitimately like they're with Ring of Honor right now. That that's the level that they're at. Where many years ago they were easily above ring of honor and, and they were never a threat to wwe but they were they were the clear number two in north america maybe by default but they were still the clear number two like they're they're not there anymore they are grouped in like it goes wwe aew and then it's just a group of of independents who who play their role and, and that's that includes tna or impact that includes impact that includes roh like and then like that even kind of includes like evolve and promotions like that like that's who they are and it is what it is if if you think that them running a small arena is bad and it's like oh they're like impact is never gonna die fuck impact is gonna still be here in 50 years when we're still doing this podcast as, as very old men talking about uh rob van dam jr or, or rob van dam jr uh, the third um because don Callis jr has to keep booking these guys impact is they are who they are they run in the small arenas i don't have an issue with it if anyone who does needs to realize that this isn't tna anymore this isn't tna on spike tv it's impact hoping to land on access and and i'm not saying access is bad but that's what it's come to like they're in such a shape right now where they're just hoping to land on access they don't even have the deal official and apparently tonight was not make or break but it was a big show for them to prove like this product is worth investing in if you're access because access officials were in the building for this show because it was in Dallas and I mean, kind of makes sense. Right. Uh, so like that's where impact is at right now. Yeah. And I, I also think there's something to be said for staying in your lane. I mean, they, they are still desperately trying to erase the stigma of TNA that a lot of people still equate with the company. There are a lot of people I know that tuned out that still won't tune in no matter how good a pay-per-view or how, how solid the shows are weekly. And because, well, I used to watch when it was TNA and this pissed me off and that pissed me off. So they're still fighting that stigma. So I would rather them sell out a thousand seat building. You know, I don't know. It was it was around a thousand. It might have been a smidge under or a smidge over, but it's around a thousand. I would rather them sell out a thousand seat building and that people be invested and actually make noise and stuff. And it looked good. I mean, you have to... There's a lot of baby steps they still have to take. They're trying to repair a lot of damage. They're trying to get off of Pursuit, which I know is a Band-Aid, but was such a bad call. And it's just, yeah, they, they're they they're trying. And I, I, I'd, I'd rather them try than make a bunch of stupid money-losing mistakes like they did when Bischoff and Hogan came in and, you know, they tried to go live and tour and were just hemorrhaging money. So at least they're making smarter decisions. So we will now talk about Impact Slam Anniversary 2019. Opening match, Jeremy, Willie Mack defeated TJP, Trey, and Jake Christ. Your thoughts? Uh, it was fine. It was added late because they, they just wanted to get more guys on the show, and th there's no problem with that. It was a nice little, little sprint. Willie Mack winning was certainly the right call. That's a guy you 
you should be investing in honestly like you should be investing in willie mack this guy is very charismatic he's a good worker he he should be higher up on the car tjp is whatever trey is fine but he, he's part of a, a group and jay Christ is also kind of in the same position as trey willie mack has single star potential so they they made the right call having him win yeah i thought it was a good and fun opener it was all action it was a sprint uh just under 10 minutes uh i agree with you i thought willie mack uh winning was the right call and it was a fine way to get these four on the pay-per-view because they've been really good on tv so um yeah i mean reward them with pay-per-view spot and that's uh that's fine. Uh, hopefully they follow up the Willie Mac win on TV and start uh, doing something with it to make it really worth it. And um, yeah, but I mean, I liked the match. I thought it was a good, good way to kick off the show. Uh, had, had a good energy to it, more importantly, too, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they showed highlights of the North winning the tag titles at Friday's Bash at the Brewery special. And uh, that led to our tag team title match. Champions the North... Defeating LAX and the Rascals, seven and a half minutes via pin. Uh, I thought the match was going really good and had potential to be great. And then Santana got hurt. Uh, looks like he re-injured his uh, previously injured knee. And that took him out for the rest of the match. So they had to scramble a bit. And um, the North ended up retaining at the end. LAX losing the titles and losing here. Jeremy, number one, are they on their way out? I, I would think so because I don't know if you do a title switch at a Impact Plus special if these guys have committed to you. Um, but but maybe you know that's part of Impact's you know kind of kind of plan is hey let's have them lose that way the the speculation is still up in the air that maybe they're gonna leave but when they stick around it'll it'll be a big deal. Uh, if nothing else, it's a it's a safety for Impact to where if they leave, they they leave. You got the titles off of them. They did business. Everything is good. And if they stick around, okay, you, you kind of put the North over a little bit. Like LAX's reign wasn't going to live on forever. And then they can get the titles back uh, if, if they're sticking around or if they end up do committing. So I don't think it was a bad thing like we, like we talked about in the preview, like having the Rascals win here would have been probably the correct call. Uh, is certainly if they were leaving, but even if they weren't, like keeping the titles on the Rascals it isn't, or putting the titles on the Rascals isn't a bad move. They just decided to put the titles on the North at Bash at the Brewery. I like that's the call I'm more questioning of. Like, no offense to the North, but like, why did you do that title switch there? Um, why didn't you just have the Rascals beat LAX on this show? Because that had been a, a well-built match. The, the Rascals got the the dusty finish victory over them on Impact. Like if they had won here, and they like they'd proven to have good chemistry, where you could just have a banger tag team match. And this match certainly wasn't that. Maybe the the injury to uh, Santana played a part. But then you you threw the North in there. You cut the time because you're you're working earlier in the show. Uh, no offense to the North. I'm not like really high on Ethan Page. Um, and I haven't seen like enough of Josh Alexander to to have a a full opinion on how good he is. But they they were, in my estimation, they're the third best team in this match. So like that's more of what I question than anything is I just think do the straight tag team match, have the Rascals win, 
and, and then go on from there. That's fair. I, I didn't hate the title change on the Impact Plus show because at least now you have in people's minds that a title change can take place on those shows. So I think that's a good thing. But uh, yeah, it um it feels like LAX is on the way out. And um, I've talked about this before. I mean, hey, more power to them if they're going to get paid and everything, man. I am all for that. But uh, that's a, it's, a, it's a big blow to Impact because they have been pretty much, I think the best act in the company and having regularly the best matches for them. And you just lost the Lucha Bros. And if you're losing LAX as well, uh, that's another tough one to take on the chin. So, uh, I mean, I don't know who they bring in to replace them, but um, hopefully they're scrambling. Hopefully they got some ideas if they are leaving. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a big loss for them. I thought the the match was good overall, all things considered. But, uh I think it was going to be pretty great, honestly, but it's just uh, the injury and things got cut a little short and they scrambled at the end. It it was good. I, I enjoyed most of what they did. I thought they kept a good pace, but yeah, it's uh, I'm really interested to see LAX's future going forward. Yeah, agreed. So, uh, Sammy cut a promo claiming that he and Tessa were going to main event Slammiversary, and they did. So we'll talk about that later. First blood match, Eddie Edwards defeated Killer Cross 1145. Uh, I thought it was a really good, hard hitting match. Um, they beat the shit out of each other. Killer Cross came across really well here, I thought. Just, uh, we're talking about Lance Archer looking like a beast in the threat, and, uh, Killer Cross really felt that way for the first time to me here. He just, he, things were clicking more for me with him tonight. I thought he did really good stuff. Uh, the finish saw. Eddie Edwards grabbed Kenny 2.0 and then he did a little mini monologue and basically gave him the I'm sorry, I love you speech and he broke Kenny 2.0 and then he stabbed Killer Cross in the fucking face and made him bleed in one. Good finish. Love the finish. Uh, really enjoyed the match. Um, I know you said like this was the, the first time Killer Cross really clicked with you and I, I've I've been fairly high on on Killer Cross really since he kind of came into the company. Like they've made this guy look like a threat from the very beginning. Anyone who watched him at uh, Bloodsport kind of saw like, hey, this guy has a has a diverse game. He just he hasn't gotten to show it off a whole lot in Impact. Um, See, that's been my problem with him. Like I I, I agree. I love the Bloodsport match he had. Yeah, uh, like like that was great, and he you know he does independent shows and he gets good marks, good reviews from from people who who are there. Um, a lot of people speak very highly of him. We just don't always get to see these shows because they're they're not always available uh, in online in, in some capacity. So you don't get to see a whole lot of him working in that different element. In impact, like I, I agree, he's been just kind of fine, um, but you hear a lot of good things about him. And when you do see him outside of the impact element, you see like, Hey, this guy brings a lot to the table. And if you listen to him in interviews, um, whether, whether they're shoot interviews or you just kind of watch like, like the, the promos he he did, uh, kind of hyping a a match with, with John Moxley. Like he see, he seems very smart and very creative and he seems to get it. And you kind of saw a lot of that come together here where he kind of showed off something different. He, he came he, uh, both in the ring and, and with his persona and he came across very, very well. 
I think Impact should invest in him. I know he's not happy. He wants his release. Uh, it's it's over money. They they promised him things. It's a he said, she said kind of deal. We'll we'll see where it goes. If I'm Impact, I I pony up. I pay this guy some money and I I, I invest in him because he's he's good and he's a guy who comes across very well in a lot of different mediums and, and you can certainly build around him. Eddie Edwards, good win for him. He he should have won this match really because you're not certain about the future of Killer Cross and maybe hey, if they don't want to pay him, they don't want to pay him. So if you're not going to pay him, he's unhappy. You, you don't have to invest in him. Um, but good match. Eddie and Eddie Edwards winning was, was correct for the story as well. And, and that, that also plays into it, whether you're looking long term term or short term, short term with, with killer cross, like Eddie Edwards winning for the story was, was the correct move. So, but overall really enjoyable match. Yeah. I mean, plus the dude stabbed another man in the face for the fucking finish. I mean, yes, that's, <laughs> uh, that, that's good. Um, RVD tried to cut a promo. He was, clearly stoned off his ass, put himself over, and all I could think of was give all of his fucking money to LAX and get rid of him. Yeah, really. Like, you're paying RVD all this money. Love RVD. Yeah, you can give that to LAX. You can give that to Killer Cross. This is an issue with Impact that we'll we'll discuss a little bit later on. But uh, you clearly have money to toss around to, to give to guys like RVD. Use that on other guys. Yeah, especially guys like LAX. And that's the thing, like, with LAX is, like, they put so much investment into LAX. You know, I mean, they were a really good indie tag team. They got a huge chance as the new rebranded LAX. And to their credit, those guys delivered. They took every inch that Impact gave them to succeed. And they did. They were great. And I just, I, and we you talked about, especially last time in the preview, that Impact has done a really good job of, like, you know, hey, you're the champions, and we've given you a lot, and they it feels like they've tried to do what they can to try to talk them into staying. But, you know, these guys are family men and everything, too, and there's going to be a point that, you know, especially, you know, Santana, I mean, you're, you know, his knee was dinged up before. If he's hurt, I mean, there's a point where you got to make money and make sure you take care of your family, too. So I won't blame them if they leave, but, I mean, if you're Impact, you just got to do everything you can to try to keep those guys. And I, I hope they stick around because... I really enjoy them at Impact, and I, I don't I don't know if they're going to be the same if they go elsewhere. I mean, it, I mean, people are like, well, they could go to ROH and face the Briscoes. Yeah, that's like one great match. Oh, they're not going to ROH. Well, I know, but you know what I mean? But people say that, but I'm like, yeah, there's one great match for them. Maybe two if they face PCO and Brody King. And then what? Like the fucking bouncers in the kingdom? Get the fuck out of here with that. I mean, AEW has a loaded tag team division, and I'm almost afraid they'd get lost in there with all the tag teams. NXT, WWE, they're throwing money around. They definitely get paid, and I'm sure they'd have a hell of an NXT run, but then, like, you're great in NXT and you make the main roster, and then you're doing fucking back-shaving segments. LAX, I don't think money, when it comes to Impact in LAX, is going to be, like, an issue as far as a fair offer. I mean, I, I don't know what the offer is going to be, but I, I think impact knows they can't lose this team. They will offer them whatever they can. Um, but at the end of the day, WWE and AEW can both offer more. It, it really just comes down to 
what LAX wants. Like, do they do they want to stick around in Impact? Um, pro- probably take less money. I mean, definitely take less money. Maybe they make up some of that money with with independent bookings, which they wouldn't be able to do with uh, WWE or AEW. Um, and, and you know, have that creative freedom. Do they go to AEW where, as you said, they they could get lost in the shuffle? Do they go to WWE where the money will be the best, but then you're kind of banking your future on yeah back shaving segments possibly. So it, I don't I don't think it's an it's a question of money with Impact. This is really an LAX decision of what do they want at this point in their careers, and they they've earned the right to to make this choice. So if Impact loses. LAX, I don't look at that as a knock against Impact because they only have so much financials that that they can offer them. They've put them in the like LAX is in this position because Impact, in a way, put them there. It's the same thing as anybody else, um, you know, that's been elevated by WWE. Like there, there's a difference between John Moxley leaving WWE and, and Sean Spears leaving WWE. I mean, I guess AEW was pushing Sean Spears, but one guy was announced as, hey, he's part of the Battle Royal. The other guy is attacking Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho after their their main event match. It's because one guy was a star in WWE, the other guy w- was barely on television. Now it's the same thing with Impact. It's it's almost a double-edged sword of, we made these guys, and you know we did everything in our power to get them over, but now they have the power to, to make a choice, and they could show up on a different program and be even bigger stars. So Impact has done everything right by LAX. If they if they lose them, it won't be for a lack of trying. It'll be for being Impact and just not being able to compete with AEW and WWE. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say they didn't try. I'm just saying it's just a, I don't think it's a loss they can afford to take right now when you're trying to build momentum and, you know, trying to make your own stars and stuff. But like going back to the Killer Cross thing, it's like, you have to make decisions, and I'm sorry. It's like, for me, it's like, get fucking RVD the hell out of here. So, that brings us to the next match. Moose thankfully defeated RVD in a long 13 minutes and 55 seconds via pin. It was actually solid and better than I thought it was going to be, but it went way too long for an RVD match in 2019. Uh, my man moves in slow motion. Uh, Moose, I thought looked really good. He worked hard and thankfully won. Yeah, Moose winning was uh, the right call. Thank God they they made that call. RVD, love him. Don't need to see him in 2019. Yeah, it just it'd be different if he was like you know delivering, but he's just nobody wants to see slow motion RVD when like. Especially if you're like a fan of the guy and like you saw all of his cool stuff. It's just, it's really depressing. And I'm just, either he really loves it or he really needs money. I don't know. I'm not trying to judge. I'm just saying it's a, yeah, it's a, I don't need him in here. Give his money to someone else. So next up was the Monsters Ball uh, Knockouts title match. Taya ended up retaining, defeating Rosemary, Sue Young, and Jessica Havoc. 11.55 uh, via pin. Your thoughts, Jeremy? I like this match. All the ladies worked hard. They had some some big spots. It's always, 
it's different when you see the women in this kind of match because you don't see it very often. And, and so when they're doing like these ladder suplex spots and these thumbtack spots and, and table spots and whatnot, it comes off as um, a, a little more taboo than if you watch the, the men do it a hundred times. So I, I, I thought all four ladies worked really hard. It was something the visuals were different um, because it, it was women involved and you just don't see it too often. Uh, Taya retaining is okay, I guess. I'm kind of over her title run. I still think Jordan Grace should should be the person to take it from her. Um, but, but it needs to happen sooner rather than later. It felt like this would be a spot for it to happen because she could lose the title without getting pinned. And it didn't instead... I, I guess in a way she she outsmarted the the other three because you know they they're kind of the hardcore people and they they've got this uh, weird realm that they're all from. Whereas Taya is a very you know she she's from Hollywood. She's, she's from, from an Slam actual Slamtown. Excuse you. <laughs> Sorry, she's from fucking Slamtown, wherever the hell that is. Um, she's from Hollywood and. She she's not quite part of that realm, at least in the the impact universe. So maybe she she kind of used that against everybody and kind of just outsmarted everyone. Uh, I, I'm over this title reign though, but a, a good match. I thought the show really turned around here because uh, not to say that the the first quarter or the first third of the show was bad, but it, it was lacking a little something in my estimation. The crowd was into stuff but it like nothing felt of of real consequence and that includes the the tag team title match which which should have felt of more consequence but the other stuff just didn't feel like like it was you know it it didn't feel like a big deal this one was the first one like okay now we're we're awake let's uh kick into the final two-thirds of this show and really get into it um so I, i i enjoyed this match yeah, I thought it was really good. I thought they made really great use of the stipulation. Thought everybody worked hard. The tie win came off as a surprise. I was, I was fairly certain she was going to lose here, but the finish saw uh, Havoc and Sue Young fighting up top, and Sue Young put on her bloody mandible claw. Havoc countered and hit a second rope tombstone into the tacks. And then Taya flew in, made the save, knocked Havoc off, and stole the pin to retain the title. A shitty little heel win to uh, keep her belt. And like you said, outsmarting the uh, the undead realm chicks. So, uh, yeah, at least the finish played really well. I thought everybody worked really hard. I thought it was really good. And uh, these matches are those kind of matches that uh, they can become a mess really quick. And not click, and they can be really disjointed. But I thought everybody did a really good job here. I enjoyed it. Yeah, same. Uh, and as you said, things uh, started really picking up. Next up, X Division Champion Rich Swan defeated Johnny Impact 15 minutes, 10 seconds via pin. I thought this was a great match. thought it was really smooth and clean. Both guys delivering, providing a great tease and a possible title change because the work was really good, and I think everybody kind of was expecting Johnny Impact to win. But Rich Swan overcame again, remains champion. The show was good up until this point, but it really needed to start picking up and this was the great match it needed to start ticking it upwards and uh swan winning here i think really adds to his title run and uh makes it even better so your thoughts it was a five star could have been seven star classic according to josh matthews if this match isn't on your best match of the year ballot at the end of the year you're showing your bias 
I I hate like like fine you can say like hey it's a match of the year contender it was a classic match I'm all for that hyperbole in wrestling I, I one I don't need to be ridiculed of your showing your bias if you if you don't think this match is on the list like there's so much good wrestling fuck off with that I hate when announcers talk about star ratings because it really just and not to get all Jim Cornette. It just exposes that this is a, a a technical battle between two men that have put this together and, and pre-planned everything. Because you're going out there and you're doing it for the subject entertainment of a of a star rate. It, it, it's like it's like a movie. Like we know a movie is fake. Uh, you know, movies get ratings. You don't see movies unless they're trying to be like insider or meta or whatever and be like hey Siskel and Ebert's gonna give this one two thumbs up this is gonna get a 98 on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever like you don't mention that in the actual movie because you go to the movie to suspend your disbelief on things like that like don't tell me about these star I hated this in uh uh Wrestle Kingdom the other year um when when the main event when it was Naito against Okada and they were like, you can bet on if this match will be over like five stars and whatnot. Like, why would you do that? It's it's one man's subjective uh, opinion on this. Why why would you bet on that? Fuck, if I'm Meltzer, I'm betting so much money on star ratings and, and just, you know, getting even richer off of that shit. Um, I, I, I just don't like it. Don't don't talk to me about star ratings because it, it makes it feel like it's all an act and it's all a play and these guys are in it and it's trying to put on the best match instead of winning the match, which is what it, it really should be all about. Um, as far as the match goes, it was really great. They did put on a great match. Uh, I'm glad Rich Swan won. That was the correct call because... Johnny Impact is fine. He's not going to lose anything from from losing this match. He doesn't necessarily need the X Division title um, because he, he's he's going to be a star, presented as a star regardless. Rich Swan, he didn't need this win. He's done very well with the X Division title, and if he lost, like you don't, you're not going to lose much by losing to Impact. But this win feels like it made him and elevated him to another level, which is should be a goal in wrestling so I, i'm glad rich swan won the match was excellent certainly the best thing on the on the show up until this point yeah i really enjoyed it and i, I think the it really thrived man they were really smooth and worked extremely well together and uh that just added to it but yeah really great stuff uh show was picking up and then we went on impact world championship match your champion brian cage defeated mike welgan fourteen thirty via pin I thought this was an absolutely great athletic hoss battle. Big lads doing big lad things as well as doing things that big lads normally don't do. Uh, you know, you had Cage hitting fucking topes and shit and Elgin going for his uh, like crazy swanton. They worked at an insane pace. I really thought that they were, because they just came out of the gate firing away. And I thought that since they moved this to the co-main event, I thought that they were going to pull one of those like... Uh, kind of like a Brock Lesnar thing where like Elgin takes advantage of the previous injury and like wins in like five minutes. Cause that's how fast they were going. And then they just kept it up and worked a crazy 14 and a half minute match. I thought the formula was great. They just kind of let everything hang out. The crowd loved it. 
I thought this was the best impact match of the year so far. Uh, Cage winning, I mean, you can debate if it was time for him to lose or retain. Uh, But, I mean, just a great match, though, so no complaints about that. No, I I really enjoyed this match, and I had my reservations coming into it because I'm not a big fan of of Michael Elgin, or not Michael, uh, Brian Cage, at least his uh, impact work. Um, Elgin is fine. I'm not a big fan of him uh, outside of the ring, but inside of the ring, he's very good. Um, Yeah, and and they, like, Brian Cage worked very well with Michael Elgin, and Elgin is a big guy who can kind of keep up with with Cage's athleticism. Cage didn't gas himself out like he has done uh, in some of these impact matches, and and it was good that it went under 15 minutes, because I I feel like some of the Johnny Impact matches got a little long in the tooth, and that's what would ultimately hurt brian cage this was a nice little i wouldn't say it was a sprint but it was it was certainly uh you call it a, an athletic hoss battle and I, I like that term for it it didn't overstay its welcome at all uh brian cage get, gets a victory with with kind of a um not a fluke victory but also you know he didn't didn't hit his finisher on him and everything so you can you can set up that rematch there um overall just just a great piece of booking um from impact yeah i i really really liked it just uh you know, just it's so it was so much fun, and again, it's one of those things that uh, I keep talking about that uh, not every fucking world title match needs to go thirty minutes. You know, I mean, I know a lot of times New Japan will have these great thirty minute matches, and that's fine, but not everybody needs to do that. And sometimes I think that uh, there is value in the phrase "staying in your lane," and Elgin and Cage did not have to go thirty minutes. Working under 15 minutes was a great window. I thought the layout was great. I thought the work was great. I thought the intensity was great. I thought that this was exactly the style of match they should have worked. So this was really, really great stuff. And just, uh, I think, smart overall. Um, are you surprised Cage retained? Um, no, because of the, the post-match angle. We we talked about it on the, the preview where you could do Elgin, and Cage is kind of better as a chaser than a champion. Um, but at the same time, Cage is coming off the, the big victory. He wasn't even featured much on Impact leading up to, to the show because he, he missed the whole set of tapings due to the injury right after uh, the last pay-per-view. Um, and Impact likes to kind of have sort of longer title reigns. I don't think you needed the, the title switch here. It'll probably come... Maybe maybe they don't even wait until Bound for Glory, which I think is their their next big show. Um, maybe, maybe they do it on one of these Impact Plus specials, or, or do it on television, or something like that. Because you can, I think that is the the benefit of these Impact Plus specials. And as you said, by having uh, the North win, it gives the illusion and maybe the correct illusion that uh, hey, you got to watch these shows. We can do title switches. Um, and, and maybe they do that with, with uh, Brian Cage on one of these shows um, before Bound for Glory. So I, I'm not too surprised that, that Brian Cage ended up retaining here. And, and they did it in the smart way. It didn't, it didn't like kill Elgin as a challenger. It was the, uh, you know, the, the SummerSlam 92 finished where it's like, okay, uh, Elgin doesn't lose anything by, by losing this match. Yeah, post-match, Michael Elgin obviously <laughs> was not happy. Laid out Brian Cage, and then he grabbed Don Callis and drug him in the ring and was going to beat the shit out of him. But a mysterious hooded man arrived and gave Michael Elgin to gore, and it's Rhino. He is done with WWE. He was wearing a hoodie. They never saw showed his face. 
But uh, that's who it was. So Rhino. Are we sure? Back was it in. not CM Punk? I'm positive. <laughs> so yeah, Ro- I think they. I think they should have done like the CM Punk tease of he he hits the GTS instead of the the gore slash spear. Like oh. I mean, it's definitely not CM Punk's body type, but you know, build off that whole whole thing from from a month ago of, of CM Punk making the appearance underneath the mask. Allegedly, CM Punk making the appearance underneath the mask at an indie event. I feel like that would have been a smarter call. Instead, we got Rhino. Yep, Rhino making his return to the company. This, this is where, like, I just have issue of okay, Van Dam, Sabu, Dreamer, Rhino. Like it's 2019. I don't need to see these guys in really any capacity for a company that wants to move forward. Um, and and I realized like, all right, Van Dam lost the Moose, but like these guys are main events on your television. And Rhino is now coming in. He's not. Gonna, I don't know if he's going to be in the world title picture, but he literally just took out the guy who challenged for the world title. So he's going to be in that mix in some capacity. And it's like, what? What are you doing with these guys? Like, you can't afford to pay a guy like Killer Cross, and you, you know, you're gonna, you have him complaining about that. You can't afford to to pay a guy like an Eli Drake, and you know, you've upset him. And you're you're bringing in these old ECW guys, and like this is obviously a Don Callis call. Like these are all his friends from ECW. Fuck, people are worried about Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff rehashing the past past on WWE, and it's like, look what Don Callis is doing in in TNA or Impact. Sorry, I old habits die hard. Uh, look what he's doing in in Impact. Like he's got all the top guys from ECW, a promotion that went out of business nearly two decades ago and he's he's pushing them up there hey i mean that'll at least prevent Heyman from doing it he's not going to have any guys to bring into wwe all his guys are going to be an impact i i don't get it i i really really don't get it but good on rano for for getting a job i guess yeah i i agree it's like this is where i have the problem too it's like you have guys like Cross and LAX who you should be throwing some money at to keep and building your roster and your your stars. But I think that they're falling into the old TNA trap to where they feel that they have to have names. And they're trying to get a new TV deal. And I don't know if Access TV fucking wants old ECW dudes, but that's what they're getting. These, these guys aren't names. Like, that's the issue is they're not names like god damn it jeremy don Callis told me rvd is better than ever in, in 2019 these guys are not na- like nobody is tuning in to impact to watch rob van dam on two that in 2019 like it's just not if he shows up in wwe cool like then it's like all right cool rob van dam's back like no one's watching impact regardless like they brought in kurt angle at nearly his peak and could barely steal an audience. Like Rob Van Dam, ten years past his prime, isn't gonna steal an audience from or gain an audience from from anyone. Like it's just people get so caught up on this whole. Well, you gotta have names and stuff. Like there really 
aren't that many names out there. You bring in The Rock, you bring in John Cena, those guys are names. Rob Van Dam, Rhino, they're not names. Yeah, I yeah, it does, it's not a move that excites me. So, they announced Bound for Glory takes place in Chicago on October twentieth. Next pay per view. Shocked, it's not the same weekend as All Out. Yeah, or uh, or the MLW pay per view weekend, but which we'll talk about later. But uh, main event time: Sammy Callahan defeated Tessa Blanchard fifteen minutes via pin. Uh, your thoughts overall? I like this match. Um, I like that it main evented too. The the story behind it, what was good, it didn't feel like it was a main event for kind of kind of like the the WrestleMania main event where it's like okay, it, the the story behind it was there. It wasn't just we're making history with this main event. It was this is a legitimate main event for this show, and 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 that's big. Uh, so it didn't feel like it was forced. It it felt very worthy. Um, I like the layout. Tessa got her got her spots in to where it's like, oh, she could she could win this match. I'm I'm sort of glad Callahan won because he needed that victory, and I, I worried where you would have to go with Tessa if she did win, um, because then you almost have to push her like as a as a men's superstar. Not that she she isn't worthy, but then you get into a kind of a booking mess um if you if you try to do that and you don't do it correctly. At least in this instance, it's like, okay, Tessa held her own. She didn't win. Maybe she can do these kind of matches down the line uh again and she's proven herself worthy. But she also has her own division that she can go back to now and, and really rule that division. And Callahan kind of put her over at the end with the the whole handing her the bat thing. Like, all right, yeah, you you were a worthy competitor, um, and it wasn't just like I'm a man, I beat you, Rar. So I I really this is another like really good layout. The work was there and an enjoyable main event. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was very good overall. I thought the layout was strong. I thought it, it was good and competitive. I thought Tessa looked really good, and uh, like you said, and we talked about in the preview, Sammy needed a big pay per view win because he's been really good on TV. He's been a big part of TV, but every time it comes to a big time match, he ends up losing. And to his credit, he stayed over. He's done really well, but there's a point to to it when it comes. He has to win. You know, and this this was good, and he got that win here. Like I said, post-match, they did the little kind of begrudging respect spot when he handed her the back because it looked like he was going to kick shit out of her, but handed her the back and left her in the ring, and she got a big pop afterwards. And, yeah, Tessa looked great, and I um I hope they can kind of refocus on the uh, on the knockouts. They got a lot of – they have a lot of talent in there right now, so um, her getting back into the mix of everything, hopefully they – have a good plan laid out. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll see where they go with with Tessa and and with Sammy now. Again, Tessa kind of made after this, and if you go back to the knockouts division, not saying she can't do it, but she should certainly she should win that title. Like she, you, you almost like I, I want them to build around just a Tessa and Jordan Grace feud and have that headline a pay per view because it most certainly can. Um, 
So I, I like this match, and uh, nice to see Callahan get the get the victory because he he most definitely needed it, and they're in a good position with these two. Callahan can he always stays over with his his microphone work and the fact that they just push him really hard, and, and Tessa uh, again pretty made from this. So a lot of options coming out of this pay per view uh, for for Rhino to just gore everybody and and run the run the company again. Yeah, so overall, I thought pay-per-view was really good. Uh, definitely picked up in the back end. Uh, Swan and Impact and Elgin and Cage were really great stuff. Uh, then you had a lot of very good, like Tessa and Sammy and stuff like that, and uh, Cross and Edwards. So uh, again, I, I think it's safe to say Impact delivered another good quality show on pay-per-view, and they've been doing that pretty regularly, which is a good thing to see for them. Now they just have to solidify the TV situation. And we will see if they do that. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, and we we kind of we name dropped uh, MLW earlier, and we'll talk about that now. MLW was reported on July fifth that uh, they are going to finally make their pay per view debut on November second with a uh, Saturday night super fight, which will take place at the Sierra Stadium in uh, Chicago. All MLW titles will be on the line. It'll be on cable and dish. They're negotiating a streaming deal. And uh, Court Bauer said, This is a chance for MLW to make a statement. We want to give value to our fans. That's why we're charging only $19.95. This year has been about expanding into live programming. The evolution of a promotion is to produce more live content. And another milestone for us is pay-per-view. And now we're going to get there with Saturday Night Superfight on November 2nd. Watch carefully this summer. This card isn't going to be thrown together in late October. All the seeds will be planted and all the championships will be on the line. I have a lot of goals for MLW. After hitting live television, we are moving to another goal in pay-per-view. And now the onus is on us to deliver something that feels different, especially in such a competitive environment. So we're going to bring a legitimate super fight to pay-per-view with Saturday Night Super Fight. Jeremy, MLW, breaking into the pay-per-view market, your thoughts? I like that they're only charging nineteen ninety-five because I they haven't built up um, a, a roster like AEW has or the momentum that AEW has to where you can just go on and charge forty fifty dollars for a four pay-per-view like that. And not to say MLW hasn't been good because their their weekly television is strong. I've not watched the uh, Kings of Coliseum event uh, just yet because Saturday night was um a busy one and sunday was a busy day for me to where i could not catch up on anything but uh, i look forward to that i look forward to mlw's weekly shows every single week because it's a very easy hour of uh, television to consume and they they put together things very well uh you know corp bauer said that they're gonna start building things fairly quickly and and that's that's good like you you've got something to build to build towards now like a big pay-per-view event, you got to think he's going to have everything in his back pocket here to where he's going to put on his best matches, have his biggest surprise, biggest surprises, because this is, it's not make or break for him, but it's certainly, as he said, like it's the next step for MLW. And they've made a lot of progress in a, in a short period of time. And I think they go about it the right way of, hey, we're on being sport. Um, 
you know, oh, now we're now we've got live specials. If you can't watch being sport, hey, the shows are up on YouTube a couple days later. So so watch them there. Um, now they're going on pay-per-view. Who knows what's next? Maybe a better TV deal for them. But I, I think they've gone about business the right way. And there's no denying the the, the business model they are running. And that is certainly where uh, a company like ROH, I feel like, is failing right now is, are you a touring company? Are you a television company? What are you building towards right now? And even Impact, Impact, we know they're a television company, but then they're running so many like Twitch specials and Impact Plus specials that it gets a little lost uh, in the mix there, whereas, you know, um, being sport or MLW has it, very locked down we're a television company we got one live special a month now we're building towards a big pay-per-view it's almost aew-esque in that you, you got kind of your your lesser events and then now you've got your big event to work towards and uh and you got television to go along with it so i i like what mlw is doing overall i'm excited to see what they can do um when they're on pay-per-view later this year yeah, um, I generally like the weekly TV. I think uh, most weeks are pretty good to good. I like uh, like the Dynasty Heart Foundation feud had been really good, and that's still ongoing. You have um, yeah Tom Lawler and Devon Erickson, the Contra unit, and all that stuff. Uh, a lot of fun stuff on that show. A nice mix of talent. They bring in a lot of different people, and uh, again, like I said, it's an easy hour to watch. Is the best thing. Uh, it, it never feels overly difficult, overly complicated for no reason. Um, I do like, uh, you know, the move the pay-per-view, I think they're being smart with the pricing. The other thing, too, is they've done a good job picking their markets and where they go. Chicago has been a consistent market for them. They're, they're drawing like 2,000 people like every time they go to Chicago in that venue. And, you know, you look at ROH has been having trouble selling tickets lately. And, uh, you know, Impact runs smaller venues, so they don't sell a lot. So I think that they picked a good venue, the Chicago crowd. Uh, they love the Lucha guys that they use. They're usually a really raucous crowd and into things. So I think that's a smart move. I think the price is a smart move. In a way, I almost think it It almost feels like slightly too late because, you know, you've lost, like, the Lucha Bros and... You know, that hurts because they were a big act for the company. But, again, they have a lot of time to build. And hopefully they take that time and properly build it up. And like he said, they don't throw it together in late October. You know, it's good when you have a goal now. They're like, listen, the goal is November 2nd. We're here. We need to get to there. We need to do this every week. And we need to get this over this week. Hopefully it's mapped out. It's laid out right. And yeah, I, I'm kind of excited to see what they can do on pay-per-view. MLW is also very smart when it comes to, to media relations and that they allow access to the media. Like they, you know, everybody wants to, to praise AEW for, for their media access and AEW is a bigger company. They, they do the, the post post fight scrums and stuff, which always garner uh, attention. I don't, I don't think MLW quite does that at least they they don't get the attention for it that AEW does but every single day like i don't know if you still get them but i certainly get them mlw is sending out a press release on hey this match has been added to this card or we're doing this or we're doing that literally every single day they send out a new press release and if you're in the wrestling news media 
this is just such easy content for you to post. It's, it's hey, Major League Wrestling sent us the following press release, copy and paste, you get a full post out of it. There's nothing, it's so easy. You don't have to search for any type of story on it. Like it, it makes, it makes our job as news writers very simple because they, they give you the story right then and there and you're always going to post it as a single story it's not like oh hey impact announced this match for uh their impact plus special and they said two words about it and and that's it and they gave you real no real details like all right you might throw that in there where you know all these wrestling sites do like grouping news posts of so you have uh two three four five items little quick hit items that you just throw in there because you have to hit a certain word count taking everybody behind the scenes you have to hit a certain word count and like this match you're not going to get the words you need uh it, if you're just posting this match mlw they're sending you this 400 500 word press release it gets your word count you put it out there you post it they get a whole post dedicated to themselves when they do this stuff and it's that's really really smart because it's always going to get out there and wrestling writers don't have to search for it they don't have to check the twitter feed they they don't have to uh you know aggregate on on other stuff they don't have to go to the website if you're a news writer you you sign up for their press release list they're very easy to work with they send it right to you it's it's so so simple and and the mlw is smart in that way to just get these press releases out there yeah, and it is too. And the other thing is too is being sports has been really good for them too. Because every week I get the, uh, the the TV primer from the BN Sports uh, PR lady. You know, this is what's on Friday night's uh, episode of MLW Fusion. Blah 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, it's like you need to make sure you're getting that stuff out because you know we were talking kind of the hierarchy right now in terms of U.S. companies, and it's obviously WWE's number one, and nobody's touching them. AEW, I think it's safe to say, is number two. And um, then you're in this kind of quagmire to where, you know, ROH would have been an easy number three, but now they're having a lot of ticket problems because you're having, um, you know, you're, you're losing the elite guys and SCU and Adam Page and Cody and everybody is just, uh, that's really coming to bite them. And they, they brought in new people, but they're not really making stars. And the shows don't feel much must-see. Impact is putting on a consistent and pretty good weekly show, which I tend to enjoy most weeks more than a lot of shows. And uh, they deliver on pay-per-view. But again, they're not setting the world on fire, like, you know, because they're running small venues and stuff. But again, I think that's smart because you're not wasting money. But then you look at MLW, you know, they're running like Chicago venue. They're doing over 2,000 people and... Again, consistent good TV. BN Sports is a much better outlet than Pursuit, and um, you know, I mean, now they're going to go pay per view. So it's a, it's really interesting to see how all that's going to shake out. And then, like, when you think about it too, it's like MLW is like, you know, they had to overcome like they lost like PCO and Brody King and Roosh, you know, all left and went to ROH and stuff like that. They lost the Lucha Bros. So they kind of got raided a bit too, but they're still still trucking along and bringing people in and stuff. And yeah, it's um, it's a definitely interesting time because right now it's like it's definitely WWE and then AEW and then underneath you got ROH and T and Impact and MLW just 
fighting for what's left of the market share, you know? Yeah, I didn't I didn't mention MLW um earlier, but they're certainly in that in that third grouping uh be, behind the top 2 and it is unfortunate for them because they don't seem to have like they they have they have a partnership um seemingly with uh with triple a with the the talent they use there um and, and even even cmll with, with some of the talent they use they they seem to have a, a good partnership with those uh promotions in mexico um like they're gonna lose mjf in in the fall when aew starts on television he he's not gonna be there uh like they, they're probably as a result like the dynasty will certainly take a hit um They've they've still got their guys. Um, they've got talent. Everybody is really high on Jacob Fatu. They could like they just they just put the title on him. They could lose him in short order. They're they're in a tough position, but they they do a good job despite the the position that they are in. And um, they 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 can build up stars fairly fairly quickly. I think Court Bauer knows what he is doing. And that that's a positive sign. Like MLW when it was around in the 2000s, um, was a was a fine product. It was just it just kind of got engulfed as the independent scene started to to die out a little bit, and, and everybody went elsewhere. But now, like the independent scene is so strong that it it has more of a market and, and core power. And he knows what he's doing. He's he's very smart with the the deals he is making and the partnerships he is forming. Uh, he's just unfortunately maybe a little bit too smart almost, and that he's building guys up, and then other companies really want these guys, and MLW is just not going to be able to to match them. So it, it's a it's a tough tough position to be in if if you are a, a place like MLW and. I think they need some type of partnership because that's where uh, ROH is doing better than they probably should in that I think MLW is a better place to be than ROH right now. But ROH was able to get Roosh, Brody King, PCO because of their partnerships where if MLW had the New Japan partnership, those guys probably stay in mlw they probably get jeff cobb as well and and who knows what roh is uh impact they don't have necessarily those partnerships per se but they do have more of a historical presence good or bad that it is there and i think that helps them mlw doesn't quite have those those solid partnerships and they certainly don't have the the historical presence being being away for as long as they were um and i think that is what what sort of hurts them in this instance i truthfully think they are the more well-run company than impact or roh though well i will say they need to fix their contract situation Cause yeah, I don't know I, if I've, they have contracts. I've, I've heard all kind of sketchy stuff about the contracts. And when they announced that they signed Roosh, they talked about how Roosh was locked in. And then the next thing you know, he got out of there and went to ROH. And MJF was reportedly locked in, and he's going to leave for AEW. You know, it's like, how good are these contracts that these guys are getting out of them so easily? So, I, I think... Hopefully I think a guy the like contra- Jacob Fatu gets locked in. I think contracts and locked in for MLW means we've signed him. He's here. He's going to be all on all our shows regularly. 
until an actual real contract offer comes along. I think that's what it means by locked in. Because I, I really don't think anybody is locked in in any promotion outside of, of WWE and now AEW. Maybe ROH to some extent, but I'm willing to bet if... I mean, when I guess they can't just straight up steal Marty, but I, I don't think... MLW is in a position to where you're locking up talent on any type of exclusive deal for a long-term time. I I think, I don't know. I agree with you that they need to figure that out. MLW contracts certainly don't seem all that legally binding compared to other promotions. Um, And and that's a shame too, because again, I think MLW is a better promotion than ROH and Impact. And if I'm a wrestler out there, I would want to I'd want to hitch my wagon to MLW, but I understand that the relationships ROH have and the maybe even the money that Impact can offer because they they seem to be still offering good money, uh, at least relative to everybody else, the that wrestlers would want to go there. Yeah, it's it's gonna be really interesting. I think the good news is is right now it's uh, unless things drastically change, I mean, there. I mean, yeah, it's not the greatest position in the world, but there's plenty of room for ROH, MLW, and Impact. You know, they're they're you're gonna have the different tiers. It's like any sport that has different level of leagues and stuff. You know, there's there's room for it because there's demand right now, and you know we're in this like you know I talk about it a lot. We're kind of in like a golden age of wrestling to where you can you can take in so much content now. And, like, if you would have told, like, young tape trading Larry that I would have had, like, all this wrestling at my disposal, at my fingertips with ease, you know, because it's like, you look at all the subscription services, WWE Network, Impact Plus, New Japan World, All Japan's version, DDT has a thing, fucking Dragon Gate, Progress, I mean, just tons and tons of, you know, independent TV, all this shit, I mean, it is insane, how much wrestling you could watch if you want and if you have the time. And that's just spectacular. And that's not even talking about, like, the stuff you still have to torrent, like, fucking Noah and shit, because, like, it's not on anything. So it's, like, it's just amazing everything you can get with these. So it's a really great time to be a fan, obviously. Again, there's plenty of room for everybody. They they all play various roles. And, you know, a, a company like MLW is just... Their role to a point, unless they grow and can, you know, deliver better contracts is, you know, Court Bauer is going to make stars and it's going to be like early ROH. You're going to make stars and you're going to lose guys and then you're going to have to make new stars and you're going to have to make guys. ROH is still doing that to this day. Impact is doing that. So it's just there's so many places for people to go and make money and that's good for everybody in the business. And it's good for us as fans and it's good for us as businessmen. So... Uh, yeah, exciting time for MLW. I, uh, wish them the best of luck. I'm really curious to see how the pay-per-view goes and what is all going to be on it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, by that time, since it's November, uh, yeah, you're not going to have MGF on that show now. So the dynasty should be dead by then. And they've been, they've been slowly teasing that for weeks though. Alexander Hammerstone has had enough of these rich assholes. Yeah, but they just they just put the titles on them, the tag team titles. So they got a little while before AEW starts on TV. They they can they can figure it out. 
Yep, but it, uh, anyway, really interesting stuff. So, uh, well, um, I'm kind of really interested to see how that card is going to shake out by then. Because as we got plenty of time, we still have the rest of July, all of August, all of September, all of October. So there is a lot of TV between now and then. And uh, yeah, we'll see. But um, MLW will be heading to pay-per-view. But um, Jeremy, we had a, I think we had a really good weekend here in Dallas uh, between the G1 and the Slammiversary. A lot of good wrestling, a lot of good times to be had, and uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, good good weekend of wrestling. I am exhausted, um, and I know next week is another big weekend. It never stops in the world of professional wrestling. That's right. So closing up for Jeremy, just a reminder, 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show. And if you have time, leave us a five-star review, and we will talk to you later this week.